Kia ora. Welcome to Fighting for Your Mind. I'm MJ. Today I'm talking to Dr. Julia Rutledge. I've chosen to speak with Dr. Rutledge today for an alternative perspective on mental health. Dr. Rutledge is independent of pharmaceutical companies and the DHB. We are talking about the treatment of mental illness through nutrients. Hi, Julia. Hi. <laughs> it's exciting to be um, meeting with you today. Um, so I guess just to introduce listeners who may not have heard of you or what you do, I think you're part of a team here in Christchurch at the university called the Mental Health and Research Group. Is that right? Mental Health and Nutrition Research oh, Group. Um, is that... Um, could you tell us a bit about what, what your group... what you people are doing here and um, yeah, what's Absolute, going on. Absolutely. <laughs> Happy to talk about what we do here. Uh, so I developed, I, I formed this group um, probably only about four or five years ago, but I've been working in this area for at least a decade now. Uh, but it's not until the last few years that we formalized it and we've got this new space and um, that I put a name to this lab where I work. And essentially what we do here is that we look at the effects of micronutrients, vitamins and minerals on psychiatric symptoms. So when I say psychiatric symptoms, I'm very careful about saying that because sometimes we're looking at psychiatric disorders like things like attention deficit hyperactivity or disorder or ADHD, or I will be looking at um, uh, say stress after the earthquakes, which wouldn't be called a psychiatric disorder, but people are struggling with anxiety yes. symptoms and panic attacks or low mood, those types of things. So we, we vary. We also look at things like insomnia, so that wouldn't be viewed insomnia. as a psychiatric disorder per se, but it can be incredibly debilitating when you're not y sleeping. Yes. So we do. Um, we look at a wide range of challenges that people face, and we use uh, vitamins and minerals to see whether or not we can have a positive impact on those symptoms. Um, so you probably do get asked this a lot, um, but I guess I guess people will know what a nutrient is, a vitamin, um, in a broad sense. But still, what is a micronutrient, right. and how is it they can help? I mean, how are they, you're saying it helps has all these things it helps with, but. How, how how does it do it? Yes, how yes. does it do it? So um, I, I suspect the reason why vitamins and minerals are being classified as micronutrients is because they're very small. Okay, okay. Okay, so they're small. very, very small molecules. Yes. As opposed to thinking about proteins, uh, which are typically seen as macronutrients, and they're very large. So it's these it's very, very small molecules that are contained within our food, typically um, fresh food, like your fruits and vegetables, yeah. but it's also going to, there's going to be vitamins and minerals contained within um, meat, like, you know, salmon and beef. You'll, yes. you'll also get micronutrients through uh, consuming food. those types of food. Yes. So they, so what, what's happened over the last hundred years is that we've been able to, to isolate these very small molecules that are in food that are really, really important for brain health. Yes. They're important for other types of health as well. I mean, they're also important for your heart to function well or other organs. Yes. But we know that they're really essential for things like the making of neurotransmitters. Right. So we've all heard about, or most people are fairly aware of, um, and are, are generally fairly educated on understanding that there are these neurotransmitters yes. like serotonin. If you, anybody has mental illness, they'll have heard these words, and serotonin dopamine, yeah. and dopamine. 
in order to make those neurotransmitters that are essential for good optimal brain health and yeah. we have them you need vitamins and minerals as what we call cofactors and that just means that they are required as um, in the in the chemical reactions along the way in order for those neurotransmitters to be made yes. hormones need they, to be made they, they proceed they, they help put yeah, they it help the process. They, they help yeah. the process along yeah. okay and um, things like hormones as well you would need vitamins and minerals in order for those these these um, uh, things to be manufactured and such that your body can then use them. So if you don't have vitamins and minerals, then your neurotransmitters will be compromised, yeah. your ability to make hormones will be compromised. Yes. So well, hormones affect mental health. They can yeah. as well, yeah. absolutely. Mm. So um, so there, that's that's what where we're targeting, is ensuring that the body has the adequate nutrients that it needs in order to be able to function optimally. So if you start to think about food in this way, from the perspective of whether or not it's rich in these micronutrients as opposed to those macronutrients, then you start to understand why. If you eat foods like highly, highly processed foods, they are high on your macronutrients, carbohydrates and proteins and fat, but they're going to be low on your micronutrients right. and so you get particularly if you're eating a diet that's very poor and low in fruits and vegetables yeah. which is where you're predominantly going to get these particular nutrients from yes sounds that answer your yes. question thank you <laughs> um so how, how long has the idea of micronutrients allevi- alleviating mental health issues been around that's a good question uh, um The idea of using micronutrients to alleviate symptoms has been around for, I think, around 100 years. 100 years, okay, 100 years. But let me qualify that. Okay. For most of those 100 years, what the focus has been, has been on finding the magic nutrient. The magic nutrient. So looking for, say, like, so using, say, zinc or niacin, which is a B vitamin, or using, um, say, B12. Iodine. Iodine. Yeah, no, iodine. Imagine it. Yeah. Um, you know, the mineral. Thiamine. Yes, it? iodine would be for yeah. thiamine. You're yes, thinking sorry. thiamine. Yeah, no problem. Thiamine <laughs> yeah. and iodine are slightly different. One's a, B, one's a vitamin, one's a mineral. Yes, sorry. Um, that's okay. <laughs> no problem. Um, so the, so the, the focus for much of the research has been on the searching for the single nutrient. Okay. And so the magic single nutrient. Single Yeah, the magic nutrient that is going to make um, people who suffer from mental illness get well. Yes. And that particular pursuit has not been that fruitful. And in that um, modest changes, modest effects, and in some cases, no effects when they focused on just one nutrient. Okay. So if you look at um, the literature, for example, on zinc and ADHD, which is an area that we've studied, overall, you get some studies that show absolutely no effects of zinc. Other studies might show a bit of an effect, yeah. but it's a pretty modest at best. The idea of combining nutrients, like what we're doing, yeah. is pretty new. Okay. Um, 
And that is, there's a, probably a few reasons for that, that people have stayed away from combining them. Because when you combine them, you are then losing the opportunity of trying to figure out why, if they work, why might they work? Yes. Because when you give, say, 40 or so ingredients, which is what we do, the question is always, but which is the, ma you know, what ingredient was the special ingredient? And I would say, there is no special ingredient. It's, it's probably the combination. The combination. And providing the brain with all the different nutrients yes. that it needs in order to function optimally. Yes. Only one, any one of those on its own is not going to be adequate. Unless you you are lucky enough to figure find that there are some people who that's all they needed was say for example B6 and you and you gave them B6 and that just corrected the challenges that they you had. have heard of it oh yeah that can happen yes. that can happen that somebody can get well on just one nutrient but it's fairly rare yes you're more likely to have a a big effect um particularly when you're studying larger populations like what we do we're far more likely to have a a robust effect by studying the nutrients in combination. And then it might be that a few of those nutrients were important for patient A, a few of different nutrients yeah. were important for patient B, and so you can end up with people perhaps you needing different combinations of those nutrients is possible. See, it's not just like one magic broad spectrum. It's it, it, well, it is. It, well, it's not magic. I no, no, I just, <laughs> I, I'm we do give the same. Decisions. We do give the same combination of nutrients to everybody. Okay. When yeah. you do research, you can't. It's 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 hard to do research on that personalized individualized approach. Yeah. So you can't you can't give you know this per, you know, person a the combination you think that's going to work for them and then the next person the next person because yeah. that's not going to help move science along in the sense of we need to answer the question of do nutrients work better than placebo which is the types and that's of trials what you're that finding. we do. Yes. yes. That's okay. what we're doing. Um, so, and I just will point out, you aren't affiliated with any sort of great tip for you yeah, to so point that know, out. Yes, you're not and working for health threes. No, I, we don't, and I'm very careful, very, very yeah. careful about that. And yeah. um, I always like to explain that we are studying an idea, yeah. and the idea is that people need a broad spectrum of nutrients in order to get well and yes. to stay healthy. And that there's no one magic formula out there that is no. is going to you that you must take this particular formula. Yes. We in order to well, study that idea. Well, don't they? Yeah, but in order to study the idea, we do have to study a specific formula. Yes. You have to. You okay. have to. Somebody yeah. has to manufacture it for you, and you have to use the same combination of nutrients for everybody who comes through in order to, for it to be well controlled. Yes. But I'm not saying that everyone has to use that formula. Although the um, most of the research has probably been mostly done in the area of psychiatry, has mostly been done on the same type of formula, and so if people want to replicate our results, then they're probably best to the, use the formulas that we've studied, yes. which is always included in all of our publications. Right. So we always provide the information of the nutrients that we have studied. Right. So. Um, is that would that be that would be a broad spectrum that mm -hmm. you're using? Mm -hmm. So, um, 
If you do, you, who designs the broad spectrum? Do you do that, or uh, I'm a psychologist. Okay, right. Not. A scientist <laughs> um, does that, or um, no? Actually, the the development of the formula that we studied has an interesting origin, and it was developed by um, consumers, yes. uh, a group of uh, individuals who, who a group of families who live in southern Alberta, Canada. Yeah, and they had. Um, many, many children who were unwell, and mm. they decided to take it into their own hands to se seek out alternative ways forward because conventional approaches were not helping their children. Yes. And so they realized that if they kept them on medications, uh, and it was for the treatment of bipolar disorder, that's the origin of it, but um, if that they could see the train wreck in the yeah. future. And they'd had many people in their own families having suicided as a consequence of that. Yes. So, so they were very aware of the long-term um, potential challenges for their their children, and didn't want wanted to find something. They wanted to find a cure. They wanted to find something different, and they came across um, the the very well-known idea in the area of um, farm animals, which is when farm animals get really irritable and they start to um, bite their, you know, the, the tails of other animals. <laughs> you can. Um, calm the animals down by giving them a broad spectrum of nutrients. Oh, okay. Very well known in the in the in the farming industry. Yeah. But we have um, humans have diverted and been led astray, I think, um, by the pharmaceutical industry over the last sixty years. Yes. So we've we've been brought led to believe that the only way that you can cure mental illness is by giving a chemical like. Prozac, lithium. like well, lithium is in a bit of an exception because it's a mineral. So oh right, just it's a salt. It's, yes. it's a mineral. It too, yeah. yeah. So, um, like uh, you know, the anxiolytics, like yeah. that. That's the way forward for curing mental illness. Now that approach has been wonderful for many people and mm -hmm. has had a positive impact for many. But what uh, we've um, been able to observe over that sixty-year period is that it hasn't cured enough people and it yeah. hasn't been the optimal treatment for enough people and despite the use of med use of medications there are many many people out there who continue to be unwell yes. and so we need to find new avenues and new approaches for those people who have not been well served by our current paradigm of treatment surely the nutrient vitamin industry is health and it's a there's an epidemic of you know, all all things health these days. I mean, why aren't say the FDA getting on board now and thinking, okay, well let's like make these micronutrients? Why why would they not? Mm. Not FDA, they don't make them. But the, what I mean, the companies that they let, you know, why mm. don't I they? Think that's a, I think If I knew the answer to that, I I would be in a great place. I yeah. can only speculate. Do you wonder? Um, of course, I'm always wondering this because we want to be able to get the nutrients um, covered through the public health care system. And some of the barriers associated with that are that nutrients are not um, patentable. Yeah. So you can't. Oh, that's what it is. You yeah. can't okay. patent. Uh, so you can't make money off them. You can't make money off of it. So yeah. that's the challenge. And that's why what we're doing here is rather unique because we are independent of the companies that make the products that we study, yeah. which is incredibly unusual. It is. And yeah. um, the companies, though, that make 
uh, supplements uh, have no no they there's no incentive for them to invest in research because if they do do research and they find that their product works then there's no safety to their to being able to ring fence around their product yeah. because they can't patent it. Okay. There are certain aspects why can't you of patent, it. I mean, as a nutrient, is why can't because it grows and it's natural? Because it's, yeah, and yeah. it would be awful if we were able to patent yeah, nutrients. Yeah, That'd that be a terrible be. place to. So you have to have yeah. some unique structure and change in order yes. for it and to be patentable. There are other things that can be patentable as well. Like it could be the manufacturing process. So there are other things that they well, that that's could what I wondered, be patented. Like the combination of the but way the it's actual combination or... cannot. Like you can't yeah. patent. A B vitamin. It's sort of like, it's like, say, when you make turkey with cranberry sauce, you don't yeah. patent that. It. It's just a combination. <laughs> it's just yeah. the combination. <laughs> okay. So um, the, what they can do is list um, proprietary ingredients, and so they can withhold some of the doses that they that are included in their product. Yeah. So that's allowed by law. Yeah. Um, so sometimes you might look at a formula and you can see that there's a proprietary blend. Yes. And that doesn't exist for all products. Um, but it does exist for some, and that's their way of trying to safeguard. But there's nothing to really protect them from having that information disclosed. Yeah. So whereas with a patent, they are protected um, for a certain number of years to be able to sell their product as a monopoly, and so then they can make a lot of money. So that's there's a huge drive from the pharmaceutical industry in order to develop uh, products that are patentable. Yeah. Because then they, if it if it works, they then get exclusive uh, rights over that particular molecule for a certain period of time. I don't know how long it is. It's three years or four years or five they, years, and they they yeah. can then ex, um, extend that patent yeah. as well by moving it into children or a different disorder and all, other ways. Um, yeah clever ways of extending their monopoly over that um so sorry your question was uh, no no i just um wondered if a patent was a fair expensive but i mean i just because i well oh, there you, is a process to go yeah. through to apply for a patent mm. yeah and then i guess if people want to use a bit of bit of something you do then they have to you know, i mean so so our our research is published it's in the public domain yeah someone could come along and look at the nutrients that we've studied and they could make a product if they wanted to so just uh, this is um could you f for instance like make <sighs> sounds crazy like you say you have um like say something that makes up a nutrient and like everything is essentially chemical i think is it everything is chemicals yes but that doesn't make, mean that's bad or good no, or no 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 but so what i mean is like say you have calcium is m you get them where do you, you can make, can you make calcium in a science lab? I have no idea. Okay, I, I, yeah. I think you have to get, I'm pretty sure you have to source it from rocks. Or yes, you need okay. to yeah. um, source it from, or plants. Because I, I thought maybe if yeah. they started doing that, then they could patent that, then maybe people... Yes, yeah. well, I mean, I'm, I'm personally not in favour of patent, patenting yeah. no, no, neither, but I'm thinking of the millions of people out there who may, who may want new drugs. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> that's, that's right, but there... Yeah. It doesn't, I mean, that's the model that we're used to is that the pharmaceutical, like these companies come along and they're independent of government and they come uh, come up with these ideas. But there's no reason why it can't be publicly funded. No. And if it's publicly funded, then it's publicly owned. And there, yes. then it's to the advantage of the public, which is us, yes. to um, then provide treatments to the public. But it's just our market system and our, our democratic system just doesn't seem to uh, support that type of research and that type of approach because people want to make money yeah so yeah. 
you know, if you're really socialist, then you'd say it'd be for the greater good. Yes. And you just say, well, yeah, these let's 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 put together a group of nutrients that we will then fund as a as a country. It's yes. not it's not un it's not impossible for us to go in that direction, but it's not traditional. No. No. Are there any um, places around the world that were on the subject of? People, you know, governments could do this, and societies could do this. Is there anywhere in the world doing doing it? Uh, you mean paying for nutrients? Using micronutrients to help their help their societies, their people to overcome not mental illness. I'm, not that I'm aware of. Not in any kind of of sophisticated and organised way. Okay. So there are people in New Zealand who are using the nutrients that we study because yes. they are they are available for purchase. Yeah. So uh, they who will hear about our research and will go out and and buy the the product that we've been studying. So that can happen. So there are individuals in New Zealand who are choosing to to fund it themselves. Yeah. Um, there might be some places so the, in New Zealand, there are certain nutrients that are funded through the government. That could be something like vitamin D, for example, might yeah. get funded through okay. the, yeah. uh, public funding. Um, but so you might end up with those types of scenarios in different countries. But to take to have a broad spectrum nutrient formula funded uh, would be pretty unusual. There is one that does exist in New Zealand, and I can't remember the name of it. And it, but it's used for a very specific physical health condition that did get funded. Um, but that's the only one that I'm aware of in New Zealand. Uh, and I I I put uh, this this combination of nutrients forward to our government to Pharmac to get oh, funded. So you, okay. Oh, I've already done that. Right. Yeah, and when, we were, when, and that was about two or three years ago. Right. Uh, and it was turned down. It was the same same. It was at the Even. held at the same meeting where they made the decision about Keytruda to fund Keytruda. If you remember, that's a cancer drug. Okay. It's a little annoying. It's a little frustrating because well, cancer is kind of more, more mainstream. Yeah. Well, it's more more people probably have now would have probably have some sort of mental illness and I are would, probably going to get, I would get agree. cancer. But yeah. And um, I think you go to hospitals and I think. You sort of would, would see like even like a cancer ward will probably, and they, you know, it's sort of night and day the difference. But that's, I mean, I guess, I guess for people with cancer, if they're dying, you know, um, that's you know something that they maybe they they take that consideration with yeah. more weight. I guess it, it yeah. could be. Yeah. It, it, and I think it's, I think there's a, a stigma that is not a, that is associated with mental illness that is not associated with cancer. So it's yeah, it's that, that it's strange. okay yeah. that it's okay for us to talk about that some you know that if you know if you've been diagnosed with breast cancer it's something that you would be probably more likely to share than if you had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. For sure, yeah. So I think that that's that's one of the big challenges that I think we face particularly in getting attention to this and you know all it takes is a group of people who have benefited from micronutrients to really lobby the government and say we want this funded yeah and i i would hope and it, and they'd have to get a lot of media attention and it would yeah. have to be splashed across the newspapers just like it was for say for example with keytruda yeah that you had a lot of people who had benefited from from this and and wanted it that that could make it turn but that hasn't happened what about say how how many studies have there been not just you but around the world and in mm -hmm. general mm -hmm. for you to send to this 
yes. um, inquiry <laughs> and say this this is this is the evidence. <laughs> How many of these studies? There's been a few. Haven't there have been. So that it's a. I'm going to have to qualify how I answer this question because okay. it's a little bit challenging. So we, okay. um, and that's because it depends on the type of evidence that you're first of all interested in. So if you're interested in just the randomized control trial, which is what is typically the type of trial yeah. that um, people pay attention to, because you will have you will have compared the nutrient approach to a inert approach, which is like a placebo. Yeah. So those types of trials are the most robust, okay. and to, and are the ones types of trial, uh, trials that people pay the most attention to. Right. There are, I think we're around 40 of those, which is, yep, but that is, I qualify that, it's across a whole bunch of different mental health conditions and symptoms. Are these longer than three-day trials? Oh, absolutely. They'll be usually about eight to ten weeks. Oh, that's, yeah. yeah, It depends on the trial. Some might go to 12, some might be six. Well, so sometimes you see and they've said, oh, they did did it for six days or something. No, no, no. Those ones will all be... Of, of the typical length of a randomized control trial, because you can't keep people blinded for a an extended period of time. No. That is on a placebo for an extended period oh, of time. Of course, dangerous. Yeah. So those yeah. are the challenge. Those are the ethical challenges. So that's the typical length of a trial, and as I said, there's there's been quite a few of those across. Um, different conditions like it could be mood disorders or anxiety, um, could be ADHD, and um, there's a few in autism. So there's there's pockets of them across all symptoms that we ch- we struggle with in the area of psychiatry. Yes. Now, um, but the qualifier I also have to put on that though is that not all the trials were done with people who had a psychiatric condition to begin with, and right. that's one of the challenges of this area of research is that there are studies out there that have been done on what we call the healthy normal population, or I hate to use that term, that's not fair, but the healthy population, people who do not have symptoms, <laughs> and it's, yeah. but it must be, un, it's unusual that they would choose a population, yeah. like stu- choose to study the effects of vitamins and minerals on mood, and yet have no one in the trial who actually suffers from a mood problem. Yes. So I just wanted to qualify that. All of the studies that have been done on psychiatric um, people who have a psychiatric symptoms that that is that they are suffering from stress or they're yep. suffering from anxiety or they have low mood they have all shown positive effects of micronutrients over placebo okay there are some cool. all of them all of them but there are negative trials okay yeah. there are negative trials out mm-hmm. there but those ones have been done on this normal on the, this so population of so people just, who are non just to reiterate the con- the the the, peop- the ones that who haven't responded are people who had sort of no distress, no depression, yes. and they took vitamins and they... And then they looked at their mood. They didn't go to the promised land. Okay. <laughs> so, but you see, they're, the way, they're, they're so, when, if you don't struggle with mood, you're going to score really low on a mood scale. Yes. Like you're going to not endorse any of the symptoms. So it's not surprising that in a trial that's been designed that way, that you're not going to have a lot of movement. No. So in the trials where the people are coming in with much higher scores, that's when you see the change, that right. you see greater change and greater um, greater reduction in those people who've been randomized to the nutrients versus those who've been randomized. I mean, it's tragic what's, what's been happening here. Um, you know, you've had the earthquakes mm-hmm. and and things. I think there's been a, you know, a dramatic rise, has there, in mental illness? That's what the, certainly what we read in the media. Yeah, so that's what I'm coming mm-hmm. from because I haven't... Mm-hmm. You know, I don't. Is that true? Do you know? Um, that's my understanding of it. Okay. Uh, it's not my area of, ex- of research. Yeah. The, the point I'm making is, I, 
But it, I thought maybe there were more people with PTSD, perhaps. There, that would certainly that does happen in a in yeah. an environment post post any type of trauma. Yeah. But did you do some? Thing, we did. Did study yeah. with PTSD. We did. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, so we. Um, so uh, uh, there's it's a, it's I have quite a long story about our research. Okay. If you've got the time. I don't know how much time you've got for it's this. Okay, it's okay. It's okay. Um, it's But it starts with the September earthquake. Yeah. And September. The the 2010 earthquake. Yeah. So that was the, our very first earthquake. That was the, the one that was out one. in Darfield. Uh, seven point one. I can't even remember. One that one. was yeah. That was the one in the middle of the night. That was midnight. That one. I think, um, more like. Was it really? I, I thought it was like two o'clock, but anyway. Oh, okay, not midnight. So. <laughs> um, this is terrible that I can't. Really, used to know these times off by heart. Uh, so, um, with that particular st- uh, earthquake, uh, that was my my first experience of an earthquake, and uh, and after recovering from the initial trauma and you know the impact of having that happen to you. Uh, and the the what happened here at the university was the university was closed for the week after that earthquake, and I thought to myself, you know what? I've heard of people who do research in these types of environments where it just happens that yeah. you've got a, a a natural disaster occur within your community, and you think, what in the world could I research? It's like divine. Yes, and I <laughs> I had remembered reading about some studies that had happened in California. Um, I, I'm trying to remember if it was an earthquake. It may well have been an earthquake where they they had a, they they looked at the effect, effects of the earthquake on, I think, pain and arthritis. And mm. so, I remembered see, reading those at the time, thinking, "Wow, that was really interesting." What these yeah. researchers did, and I thought, and I, I I thought I can do this. There's is, what is it that we can do here as a consequence so of this earthquake? Yeah, it came to me. Of, well, yeah. There must be something that we can research. Okay. And so, what I realized, what we could research was the impact of whether or not you'd been taking micronutrients at the time of the earthquake. So prior to the earthquake, because we had a lot of studies going on at the time. Mm. So we had some people who were on nutrients and we had some people who were off nutrients. We had some people who were just starting. So we had people at various stages of research. Yes. So what we could, the question that we could ask is if you happen to be taking micronutrients at the time of that earthquake in September. Yeah. Did it have an impact on your ability to recover? So this was the first one? This after, was the first one. After the first yeah, one? Yeah, after the first yeah. one. So what we were able to establish was that we had an, a, about 17 people who happened to be taking micronutrients at the time of that earthquake. We phoned them a week after the earthquake. We phoned them again two weeks after the earthquake. And I think we went to three weeks. I'm trying to remember. that that's, It's been a long time, eight yeah, years now. Years. So so we fought, we, we've contacted them on a weekly basis. And then we also had about 17 people who were not taking nutrients at the time of that earthquake because of just where they were in our studies. And so we also contacted them. And what we were able to establish from that little study was that those people who happened to be taking the nutrients at the time of the earthquake were covered from the stress and anxiety far more quickly. Right. This is remarkable. And they, so they, yes, they did get stressed. Yes, they had a stress reaction, but they did seem to be able to cope a lot better with the earthquake than those people who weren't taking those nutrients. So we published that study and it was an interesting one. And I thought that's my earthquake study and we'll move on. And then there was the February earthquake. Yeah. And that was, of course, a very different experience. A lot more people were traumatized, I think, by that earthquake because yes. of the damage and the and the mortality in the city. So 
Um, so it was quite I'm, a high mortality given the population. That's right. So, yeah. yeah. So we, so we thought. I thought, and the, and, and I was in very cer- different circumstances because my house was very badly damaged, and so I was living on in on uni- in university housing at the time. And I thought, well, what is it that I can do to contribute to this com- our community in terms of helping them recover from this earthquake? Yeah. We had this interesting, intriguing data from the the, the September earthquake. So. I thought we can do a trial okay. where we randomize people to different doses and so we can find out what a, what the optimal dose is. You're, everyone's getting a treatment that way because it's unethical to do a placebo-controlled trial under those circumstances. Yes. And so we, we were able to find 90 people incredibly quickly to randomize, so there's about 30 per group, to see whether or not they, the, what you know, what happened in terms of their ability to recover from the stress and anxiety associated so with that you earthquake. you gave them different nutrients? They got different, they got, we used two different formulas at the time and we used different doses. But we also had a group of people who didn't take the nutrients. They weren't randomized. They didn't want to take them? That, exactly. Okay, they yeah. didn't want to take them. They wanted right. to go down the conventional medication approach. Okay. Okay. So what did they take? They did whatever they want. Like okay. so, some of them might have been on antidepressants. Some right. of them might okay. have gone for yeah. counseling. So they did a, a you know, they went road. for essentially your your what a conventional treatment. That's that's what those that group of people um, okay. opted for. Yeah. So a month later we found that those people who were taking micronutrients were far more likely to recover from the stress associated with the natural disaster than those people who had gone down the conventional route. Yeah. In fact, there was virtually no change whatsoever in the percentage of people who, who would have met criteria for PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. We, I always qualify that slightly because we didn't um, do a full interview on them, but as best as we could, yes. establishing PTSD criteria. Yeah. No change in the percentage of people who met that threshold in those people who in the people who went down the conventional approach, which was in medications or and or counseling. Yeah. Versus. 65 percent met criteria at the beginning of our study in the groups that went into the micronutrient trial okay and um, it went down to 19 percent huge drop right in the number percentage of people who were still meeting the criteria yeah so that's a that that's a pretty substantial change in the number of people who had were would meet criteria for PTSD in a very short period of time. Yes. So very simple, um, easy intervention to reach a large population after a natural disaster. It hasn't really been taken up to date by. Um, well, that was so. Yeah. I mean, are they? There are. I mean, hospitals nationwide, probably worldwide. Um. You know they're 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 at breaking point, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Um, so you're doing this research here mm-hmm. in Christchurch. the university. Yes. Um, are doctor, I mean, are hospitals, are doctors, or people coming to you and saying, "Well, this is quite interesting." You know, are yeah. they asking you about the nutrients. Right. It's more consumers who are asking me about the more nutrients. Consumers. It's the people who are suffering, who have gone through conventional approaches and have not had satisfactory outcome. But it is very hard yeah. to find information on online about this. Like you Google micronutrients and mental illness. Yeah. It's not. It's. I haven't tried that. You should try it. It's. <laughs> 
you know you had <laughs> so to overwhelmed. actually okay I, I think you had to actually specifically go to the names of them you know okay yeah. to, right right okay so um i am sl- over over the decade that i've been working in this area i am more likely now than i was before to be approached by mental health professionals i have been invited to speak to psychologists and tr- and train them and do workshops yeah. on the use of not just nutrients but diet as well and talking about diet Um, so there is a slow change but I have yet to be approached by anyone who works in the public health sector who has said look we recognize that we're not treating enough people well and not enough people are getting well we've heard about your approach can we talk about how we might be able to implement this no one has ever done that how many years have you guys have you people been doing this we've been publishing for 10 years so it's yeah So that has yet to happen, and I look forward to the day where that does happen. But I am sitting here, I, I answer my phone, so there's you can't, certainly couldn't say that I'm unaccessible. Right. I, or inaccessible. Inaccessible? One of those two. Yeah. So I, I respond to all emails, anyone who contacts me, I'm, I provide information to them about the approach that we've been taking. So, the, so it's yet to be taken seriously by the government, by the public health care system. Well, I just, I mean, if I guess if it's going to start anywhere, it's going to start here in, in Christchurch. Mm. One would You'd think so. I've t- I certainly talked to people who are high up in the Canterbury District Health Board. I suspect it's like a Titanic, that it is very, very hard to change the course on which they are. And so to introduce innovative new ideas requires probably so much red tape and paperwork that it's overwhelming. I can only imagine that's the challenge because it's a what we're doing is pretty simple. It's not, yeah, but not it's, hard. Yeah, it's but capsules. I, it's but it's also it's quite simple. I mean, you said that, did I just did you say that? I, yeah, I, I think I did. So, oh, right, no, but that's sometimes that's the problem. I think mm-hmm. is like you know it's so simple that it's like oh well, you know we've done these ten year degrees or there's been thousands mm-hmm. of years since yeah. since since. Yeah, hospitals and the f- can't be as f- simple as this. That yeah, it's just can't about be as nutrients. simple as this. You know, like I, I certainly get a lot of people who say that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or it would have been discovered already. Yeah. But I think if you think about it historically, you can sort of understand why we haven't. It's been. It's taken this long to start yeah. doing this type of research. We've been looking. We we're as scientists. We really like to manipulate only one variable at a time. Yeah. So for someone like me to come along and manipulate forty variables at a time, which is the number of, you know about the number of nutrients that we're using. Yeah. That's really uh, outside of the conventional approach of science. So you're not very popular. Sometimes I'm not. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean. But it doesn't matter to me because I know, I mean, I've taken the approach that uh, I went into this area, I went into clinical psychology in order to help people. Like that's a yeah. you know, pretty typical reason why people go into the mental health field or go into things like medicine or go into psychology is that you want to help people. And I came to the pretty quick conclusion that what we're doing right now is not helping enough people. No. And so you, you've got to study radical ideas. You've you got do. to study, you've got to, you've got to push the boundaries be daring. and be daring and be unconventional and, and, and um, well, take conven- a risk. Because conventional... 
you know, roots aren't, aren't working. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's the conclusion I came to. So, that's <laughs> what it so, so it's not been popular yeah. uh, to do this type of work, and it has had a, there's been a lot of roadblocks along the way. So it's not been easy. It's certainly not been an easy one, and a lot of people would have given up a long time ago. Yeah. Um, I mean, it seems, at least in this country, that, you know, life is most certainly more stressful than it was 50 years ago. Um, do you th- do you think the mental health categories, as defined in the DSM, um, the 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 book, that mm-hmm. book, the lines are somewhat blurred? Like just with the advent, like new technologies, like do you think it's still cut and dry? Like you know, like PTSD, anxiety, depression. You know, yeah. you know, sort of. We're we're certainly trained when you go through this this field. You're trained to think about it as categories, as yeah. discrete categories. And um, I've now, it's been 25 years since I first started my training in this area. Yeah. So I, I think over that period of time, I suspect a lot of people in the area start to appreciate that there's a lot of blurring in the categories and yeah. there's a lot of blurring between what's normal and not. Yeah. And it's more about, for me, it's about the symptoms and it's not about the categories. Yeah. Even though we have to do our, we often do our research within the context of categories like ADHD. Yeah. I don't see mental illness as categories at okay. all. Okay. I just see people who are suffering, who struggle with symptoms. Some people might um, suffer from low mood. Some people will struggle with their sleep. Some people will um, experience heightened anxiety, their heart racing. You name it, people have these symptoms that are, at at the end of the day, are debilitating and distressing and interfering with their ability to function optimally. So I take, we look at sort of take that approach and think about it in that context. And if you think about it in that context, you start to understand why the nutrients might be helpful for a number of different conditions. Because yeah. otherwise, if you think about it discreetly as discrete categories, most people kind of would say, there's no way you could have a, one treatment that um, has a positive impact on ADHD and depression and anxiety and bipolar, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas we've seen benefits across all of those different categories of, of illness. So it does really shake up our belief system around these discrete categories as being caused by discrete different because risk nu- factors. Because like a broad we, spectrum nutrient yep. can work for like someone who is depressed we, or has ADHD. Yeah, we've certainly seen it all. Right. Yeah, across the board. It doesn't mean that this approach helps everyone. So no, no, it doesn't. No, I definitely course, do. I want to make course, that really clear to your to your listeners that it doesn't help everyone. Yeah. And some people may well need medications. And you don't just rock up to the supermarket and no. get a health three supplements. And that that won't probably won't work. No. Um, so these these ones you're using as. Or super high, high higher doses. bioavailability and good and bioavailability exactly yeah. Yeah. good absorption good bioavailability um, and at doses that are typically higher than what you get out of a supermarket but not toxic no so that's the sort of difference uh, we've we've um, you know at some of the doses uh, you know again you're you're asking about the legis sort of you you asked a little bit of a legislation question around the patents and stuff yeah and with that 
um, there is a lot of legislation around the doses that are allowed to be in nutrients, and so that does yeah. seem How to How do you limit. do the dosing? Well, again, not in my area. Okay. I didn't develop the formula. Yeah, so, yeah. Okay. Um, but the doses have been determined based on what research is out there as to what is probably a required dose for people who are struggling with mental illness, okay. which is probably a dose that's higher than your individual who doesn't have any symptoms. Right. So you don't need to take a whole high dose of nutrients if you don't suffer from any, you know, your, your health. Deficiency. and you have it's not necessarily that no no I don't, defi- I don't mean but no no I don't mean deficiency like showing up in a blood test yeah. I mean like if one is you know responding to a nutrient because they are having a like say they're having a seizure and they take some big lot of calcium and some zinc or I don't know and then you know it's then they feel better. Then one, you could assume perhaps there was some, you know, thing going on. Yes, yeah. it could be. Yep. Yeah, because you talk about um, nutrients being about the what the what the brain needs, not yeah. the body. Well, that's the organ we're targeting. Yeah. But it's probably not the organ that we're targeting in in the in the sense that I think when people take the nutrients, they not only does their brain health. Uh, improve but we also hear about other areas of health improve as well yes those are more anecdotal because it's not what we study but we will hear about their um you know they get less colds or they recover more quickly from illness um injury seems to recover more quickly so we do hear about those those benefits as well what you might call a side effect um but a good side effect yeah yeah um Blood test. Yes. People may be thinking, mm. um, okay, let's just go get a blood test. Yes. Um, I, I, you know, I, or I had a blood test. Um, mm, yes. I don't need vitamin C. Yes. So, ha- so, sure. so these days, if you're when you're insane or getting insane or not insane or depressed or whatever, you know, they you go to the doctor or you end up mm. in hospital. They'll say, "Who's the prime minister? What's the day? What's the yeah. date?" You know, that's that's sort mm-hmm. of how they mm-hmm. test for them. So, is there any is there any like is there any way of like knowing? You may be on the path before you get to the stage where you yeah. don't know who the prime minister is. <laughs> right. Things. So can we can we discover this through a blood test? Not yet. No. Okay. Um, and I, the the question around blood testing is a in I'm I hold an opinion that's probably a bit different from many people out there who use nutrients, and that is that. People um, often think that they need to establish deficiency, and you used that term deficiency a bit earlier. Yes. And um, that they need to establish deficiency, say, in vitamin D or vitamin C, in order to uh, establish whether or not they need to take nutrients, additional yes. nutrients, and what they can get out of their food. Yeah. Our research does not support that position. And so we've already published one study where we looked at the whether or not the nutrient status for, based on blood levels, nutrient status of certain nutrients, you, we didn't measure them all, but we measured some things like zinc and copper and, and vitamin D and um, magnesium and a, a few yeah. others. So we looked to see whether or not they were, first of all, deficient. Yeah. And most people who come into our trials are not deficient. Okay. Really important. So there are some who come in deficient, but most of them are not coming in deficient. And yet they benefit from the nutrients. So I say to people, you probably don't need to go and get a blood test in order to make the decision about using nutrients. Because the thing about those blood tests 
is that they are comparing you to the average individual. And yeah. you are not average. No. You are st- struggling with specific symptoms. Yes. So your nutritional needs may be very different from the nutritional needs of someone who is not suffering from specific symptoms. Right. They may, may be quite higher, okay. quite a bit higher. In fact, one of the, th- the reasons why we think the nutrients were so effective after the earthquake is that what happens after the earthquake is that your fight-flight response goes into overdrive. Yeah. And I talked about how nutrients are essential for making um, neurotransmitters. Yeah. The neurotransmitter that is really important for the fight-flight response is, nor- is adrenaline. Yeah. And so if, you are, if you're constantly in that alert state, you're going to deplete yourself of adrenaline. Well, you're going to need to keep making it. I mean, you think about it. I mean, if you have an anxiety attack or a panic attack, you get really hungry after it. You could. You've used up lots <laughs> right. of energy. That's right. <laughs> so so that's... you've also used up lots of nutrients. Yeah. And so that's why the getting a dr- blood test is probably not going to be useful in determining what your nutrient needs are. Because if you are really anxious then you're going to be using up your nutrients at a much higher rate than someone who isn't. And so your needs are much greater. And so that may or may not show up in a blood test. But do you think this is that there there some sort of mad genius in a lab somewhere thinking, oh, you know, how how can they, how you can work out, like, what, I mean, it'd be good to know what nutrients you use, say, when you are having a panic attack, like, I just used up my lifetime store of magnesium, you know, well, yeah. Right. You know, yes, yeah. that would be, but... You probably have to traumatise some, somebody, uh, and that wouldn't be, that wouldn't yeah, be good, yeah. some animals or something. Well, the good. thing about serum levels is that they, they are, the other thing about serum levels is that they, they're very highly controlled in your body. And yeah. so it's called homeostasis, and the body, the, particularly your blood level, we try to, it, your body tries to keep it at a very even level and okay. not change dramatically. And so even if you were using it up, they may not come up in your serum levels until you've really used it up. Yeah. And so that's the other reason why I'm not a big fan of using the blood tests in order to determine deficiency. No, but do you it think does take a while for it to come through. Do you think and, they'll work out what's happening it, in the brain? Exactly. That's the thing is that it's yeah. very blood. Saliva, I don't know. Yeah, you, could, you might. You might. Not that I'm aware of that anyone's I mean, come you, up you with You need someone to smell the, the difference, Maybe. I suppose, or something. <laughs> um, but the blood, the serum levels are not a great indicator of what's going on. Your brain needs because the blood goes right through the body. The it, body it does. It goes. Yeah. So that's the problem. I mean, you would never. You don't think you could ever know, really. I mean, we think that it's not a great indicator. Yeah. yeah. So it's not that it's not useful. I, we do do blood testing, but we haven't found it useful in a determining who would benefit from nutrients. So even if your blood test is normal, you yeah. can still benefit from the nutrients, and your symptoms could disappear. And we also haven't found that B, that it's particularly helpful in helping us predict who's going to benefit and who's not going to benefit based on your blood levels. So just briefly, you said about thinking that in fight or flight, um, people perhaps say, and it's in an anxiety attack, they are using up a lot of nutrients. So that's why perhaps micronutrients. Is that, what is... The rationale for your belief and others, apart from just results, like if you were just to think about it, you know, just just think, oh, you know, um, as to why, as to why nutrients, is it just might work. 
why why they might work. Yeah, yeah. so because this is something you're going to pe- people will have to do. You you got to sell yeah. it. You, you, you I mean because evidence clearly isn't enough. You, you Sometimes know? evidence is interestingly evidence isn't always enough for people because yeah. they do need to sort of get their head around trying to understand it. Yeah. So there's a we are exploring the why now. So yeah. we've established. Okay. I, we I feel like. How many studies do you have to do in order to show that nutrients are more effective than placebo? We are still doing studies. We've got a couple that are currently um, under review. That means that they will hopefully be published within this year. So we have got a few more under our belt, and we've got more on the way. So we are continuing to to just research that issue of what we call efficacy. Do they work relative to a placebo? But you also then have to start to understand... uh, um, answer the question that you just asked which is well if it does work then why does it work yeah and so that's where people we've wondered about nutrient deficiency mm-hmm. not convinced that that's necessarily the the root for that's that explains a lot because we've looked at that um we've wondered about um genetics now that's a hard one very hard to study and we are delving into this in a very small well, that's the one much. isn't it really yeah. do you yeah. think that's kind of the key holder maybe Me- yeah. well it hasn't yielded a huge amount yeah. of ideas when it comes to why drugs work or why drugs don't work or why some people have mental because illness you, or don't have mental illness nothing can really alter you can't alter your de- environment yes. can alter your DNA but there's, is there a drug you can there's no drug you can take to change your DNA is there? well it's not about changing your DNA it's about changing the expression and whether or not a, a Gene no, not your DNA, but the way off. your DNA is, because you have your DNA, and then something happens, and then it changes. Yeah, so it's not changing your DNA. Yeah, but there's it's something called epigenetics. Epigenetics. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, that's why. I'm, yeah. yeah. So epigenetics is not changing your DNA. Okay. But it's changing whether or not a gene is turned on or off, and so you oh, can. Right. Yeah. Yes. So you can, you can add little chemicals. Um, we uh, we call them methyl groups, and you can add add or take methyl groups on or off, and that can either switch genes on yes. or. Oh. Yes, because don't something like fifty percent of people carry the gene for like schizophrenia. I I read I, didn't know that. I read it in a medical I, textbook. Okay. <laughs> um, so I thought, wow, you but know, an, I w- I don't think there's a gene. There's no gene for schizophrenia. Oh. There's no specific gene. No, but the um, no really. No really. I I the the general okay. conclusion on genes and psychiatric illness. Is that there are? It's multi. It's a, there's a number of different genes, and they all contribute a very small amount to the overall expression of the disorder. We've not found. Yeah, one, I just saw one gene like people was, carry the potential for schizophrenia, and then there was they, a, there was a yes. theory that you then had a like a traumatic experience, say in yes. childhood, okay. or, yeah. or an anxiety yes. attack, yes. and then because you've got the potential for schizophrenia, yes. you know the risk factor. So that yeah. that was established from the longitudinal study in the Dun- the Dunedin longitudinal study where they were able to look at that the the the, the combination between the genes and the environment yeah. the interaction between the two mm. and you are right that pe- some people who carried a specific gene were more likely to then turn and express the illness if they they had also been exposed to a traumatic event versus people who didn't have that specific gene yeah. they were less likely to yeah. convert yeah, so there is. You're right. There is that research, um, but just but back to what, why you think you. But why? That's not. Uh, that was off the track. Sorry. Um, I just. Why it works. So, so when you started, you got you. Yeah, you're exploring so the why. Yeah. So we. So we are currently exploring whether or not there the nutrients can um, have an epigenetic effect. That is, can they turn genes on and off? 
And I don't have the answer to that question yet, but that's something that we are exploring. Okay, that's exciting. Yes, that is. Yeah. Another thing we... Is there, is there anything in the world that can do that, apart absolutely. from altering your environment? Oh my gosh, absolutely. Oh, really? So yes. you, okay. Well, I, I'll give you a great example okay. for your listeners. Um, the honeybee. So the queen bee and the worker bee are genetically identical. Okay. Yes? Yes. Yeah. Yep. You'll believe me on that one. Okay. Yeah. Yes, they are genetically identical but phenotypically different. That yeah. is that the queen bee is fertile and the worker bee is not fertile. Yeah. What is the thing that makes the difference between whether or not the you've got you become a queen bee or a worker bee? What is the one difference? They have personalities. No, it's got to do with their diet. It's got yeah. to do whether or not you've been fed the royal jelly or not. Yeah. Okay. And so that is a dietary manipulation um, that in, that has an impact on whether or not you become the queen bee or you become a worker bee. Right. So if anybody ever says that nutrients aren't powerful, I always say, <laughs> remember about the honeybee. Yeah. Because the honeybee is a great example in nature where diet alone influences whether or not you are fertile or not fertile. So uh, so when it comes to the issue of psychiatry, so that does psychiatric illness, and people saying there's no way nutrients but could I, I, solve I, this, I uh, would say, well, it I, I'm just not, so I'm not a scientist here. So just the layman here, mm -hmm. I'm thinking about genetics. Um... If you have, say, had, like, you, I don't know what genes look like necessarily, but say you have your genetic makeup, is it, would that be? Mm -hmm. And then something, like, you get shocked, you, you get an earthquake or something, and then it, Something ha does something happen to your DNA when that happens? Well, it's not your, it's no, not your, your DNA. Gene, your gene, your gene, your gene. Uh, they can get turned on or off. Why? Why might they work? What we're wondering is whether or not we are having an effect on the expression okay. of those genes. Not on your DNA, because that, as far as I There's understand, you can't change your DNA. But you can change whether or not um, the, it gets the gene is being read or not read, turned on or turned off. So that's what you could potentially change yeah. with the nutrients. And that's an un, that's one of the things that we're exploring. We're also exploring the microbiome. Well, yeah. The the bacteria in your gut. Right. Does yes. It have an well, that's influence that's on the bacteria? keys to the brain, isn't it? The gut. Well, that's we're certainly becoming a lot more enthusiastic yeah. about the role of the gut. Yeah. So that's why when I was saying before that the, you know, it's not just the brain that we. I think if you hear that for the first time, you do wonder, um, is it is it is to do is it to do with the immune system the gut. Is it why? Yeah, well, it it play, certainly can play a role in your immune system, but yeah. it also can play a role in how well you absorb nutrients at a simple right, that's what level. It is. Okay. So that's the bacteria in your gut can influence how well you absorb your food and how well you take in the nutrients that are you get out of your food. So if you've got a really inflamed gut, then that can influence what happens at the at the level of what nutrients are absorbed and what nutrients aren't absorbed, and also whether or not you end up um, getting toxins that yeah. come into your system as yeah. well. Okay. So there's a lot of things that can happen there. Yeah. Um, so that's another area we're exploring. So we are looking at the microbiome of the people who are exposed and not exposed to the nutrients. You know, certainly what I would hope for is that, uh, you know, when people are going through a stressful time, that perhaps 
the a physician or prescriber might suggest this first yes. as a way forward before medications because this approach seems to me to carry a lower side effect profile. And that was Dr. Julia Rutledge discussing the treatment of mental health related issues with micronutrients. You can find Julia Rutledge on Facebook and Twitter. There is a link there to a TEDx talk.